Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The wokists are all around us today, ladies and gentlemen, from Oxford University to our TV screens, from Wembley Stadium to the takeaway section of Kentucky Fried Chicken. When can we be rid of the snowflake generation that can't stand to watch football unless the players all make some kind of meaningless gesture before the kickoff? Why can't a fast food chain make an advert without it upsetting some people who think it plays into racial stereotypes? And why, oh why, have students at Oxford University voted to remove a portrait of the Queen from their common room because she represents recent colonial history. I mean, for heaven's sake, she's the head of state of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. She's hardly a despotic dictator that rules with an iron fist. They don't mind those, of course, do they? That's absolutely fine. The Magdalen College morons ought to take heed of what Lord Patton had to say. Freedom of speech allows even intelligent people to be offensive and obnoxiously ignorant. Now, before some of you get carried away and go, oh, what do you want to cancel Oxford University students? No, I don't want to cancel them. I just wish to be critical of them because they are making complete and utter fools of themselves by claiming that one of the greatest heads of state that the world has ever seen, one of the most tolerant, uh, one of the most generous, one of the most responsible and one of the most admired people in the entire world, apparently, according to them, has got some colonial past that we don't like. Well, I'm sorry. Absolute nonsense. We'll be checking in with Sun Colonist Trevor Kavanagh first up this morning as we prepare you for yet another exciting edition of Prime Minister's Questions uh, with Boris Johnson and the most unpopular leader of the Labour Party since the last leader of the Labour Party. 0344 499 Coming up, we've got a packed show for you as well. Tonya Buxton is here with her take on the lockdown hokey-cokey and why she's had to cancel her trip abroad to see the family. Plus, Tory MP Deanna Davison is here to help us celebrate what should be Freedom Day on June 21st. And I'll be asking her about Andrew Lloyd Webber's threat to open his theatres on that day come hell or high water. Surely the government wouldn't really arrest him for doing that, would they? Uh, Emma Webb is also here with her take on the cancelled culture clashes that are going on all around us. And she'll have something to say about Gareth Southgate's rather pompous statement about England football and what it all means. 0344 499 1000. Loads of other stories going on. Doctors, of course, uh, are claiming they're suffering from burnout. Uh, We'll find out why. Local residents are claiming they're being poisoned by a quarry in their community. It's all happening here uh, on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. So join us. You're listening to the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, there's so much going on this morning, I barely know where to begin, but thank goodness we've got a sage uh, to talk to about all of the things that are in the papers today, and not that sort of sage, not the kind of sage that goes into the sage committee and tells everybody what to do, when to do it, who to do it with, uh, and how often to do it, uh, and what you can't do as well. It is Trevor Kavanagh, political columnist at The Sun. Trevor, very good morning to you. Hi, Mike. It is a little bit uh, like being on the roller coaster of madness at the moment, isn't it? I mean, from, from the Oxford University students to Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, being told that they've made the mistake by t- casting two black guys uh, in an advert for fried chicken, you know, to Gareth Southgate, who's written a long and laborious and monotonous statement about why playing for England is so important without actually mentioning taking the knee. You know, the England cricket board. And what's going on? <laughs> well, listen, I can't improve on your opening words, Mike. It's amazing. I'm, I feel I'm going bonkers, and I'm absolutely sure nearly all of our uh, listeners today will feel the same way. And yet we are cast adrift and cast aside while other people make the running on the most bizarre and amazing uh, decision-making. Uh, basically, it's censorship, isn't it? 
you can't have a view on anything these days. No. Writing a column, presenting a radio show, you're constantly taking a risk that someone will come down on you in a swarm of uh, aggression and disapproval. Right. And, and disgust, it's even worse than that, isn't it, sometimes? I mean, you know, you're now a racist if you don't support the England football team taking the knee. You're a racist if you don't think that uh, uh, Ollie Harrison uh, should be, in fact, uh, uh, kicked out of the England cricket team. Robinson, rather. You know, I mean, it seems that we've now only got a situation in, in place where one view alone is allowed and nobody else can be dissenting from that. Well, I think that the problem is, and I'm not sure if I can say this, you'll put me right, that the the sort of attitudes that prevail now on racism actually exacerbates racism. Yeah. I think that people who are not racist and haven't thought about race in any uh, uh, sort of specific way are suddenly looking at it and wondering why on earth they should have things rammed down their throats. And if football crowds who, after all, pay the tickets and pay the wages of all the people bending their knee on the pitch in, against their particular... Uh, approval and um, where does this where does it begin and end mm. you, and you have as you say the oxford students trying to bring down a portrait of the uh, queen of england um it just boggles i, I i'm lost for words yeah. frankly I know. And the thing that I suppose amazes me the most, Trevor, is that, you know, it would be one thing if it was just students being students or, you know, activists being activists. But it's actually the establishment now which is buying into all of this. And it's the TV companies and it's the kind of, um, you know, the university administrations and it's companies, um, you know, commercial operations that are thinking that this is all great. You know, you've got Ben and Jerry's ice cream telling everyone that we must allow people to come here from France illegally on, on boats because we must be nice to them. You go and you sell ice cream. What are you talking about? And the sainted National Health Service, oh, which yes. has got its own particular code of its alphabet of offences. I mean, this is grievance culture. This is salami slicing of the population and its views so that nobody can actually be on the right side mm. of those who set themselves up as judge and jury, as moral police. And so you can't win this one. There's always something that you're in the, on the wrong side of. Uh, and and frankly, I think this is really more, much more dangerous than a bit of uh, fun or stupidity. This is, uh, as I say, I think it's an act of censorship. So that we all have to watch our words on whatever subject we're discussing in a way that gags us. We can't actually ventilate. We cannot uh, articulate the sort of views that we're entitled to have and entitled to express. Mm. And, you know, the uh, Ollie Green's, uh, the, 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 the cricket... Uh, cricketers um, uh, words from 10 years ago how long do you have to spend I mean you can you can serve less than 10 years for for murder these yeah. days well this is the thing I mean Rod Little put it very well uh, in his column in the Sunday Times in which he said basically well not only now do you have to be careful what you say uh, about certain things but you have to be careful what you said about certain things before it was wrong to say them before you even knew that it was wrong uh, to say certain things. And that's the ridiculous aspect. I was quite pleased to see Gavin Williamson weighing in on Oxford University, and as I was pleased to see Oliver Dowden and Boris Johnson weighing in uh, on the cricket and Ollie Robinson, because, you know, the politicians have to stand up for the majority of the people in this country, because I don't believe for a minute, Trevor, that these views are held by the majority of people in this country. No, and I think that uh, the political parties need to wake up to this. I mean... One of the reasons I suspect that uh, Keir Starmer is wallowing in the opinion polls is because he voices and supports the very same things that we're talking about mm. here. He is not standing up as uh, Boris Johnson and Oliver Dowden are doing and saying this is ludicrous, it's madness and we should stop it uh, before it becomes impossible to stop. Mm. In fact, I think possibly it's got to that stage already. When you have the... Um, football associations remaining dumb while uh, this huge controversy over bending the knee is tearing the game apart. Yeah. This is not going to go away. It's going to divide the game. This is not good for race relations at all. No. And you know exactly what's going to happen in the opening game that England have against Croatia. The booing is going to be louder. Uh, it's going to be more vociferous. And more worryingly, and Martin Daubly and I were speaking about this a, a couple of days ago, if there's a situation in a pub where there's a big screen, people start booing the big screen, there's people out drinking, there's other people that think <coughs> the people booing are in the wrong you know, it could get uh, all sorts of, uh, it could go into all sorts of different places. Well, I think this is the truth. And the, the, the problem is that we have, I think anyway, and uh, of course, there are some who deeply and bitterly disagree, have moved a long way on the issue of racism, mm. especially in football and in 
uh, crowd response to uh, this subject. And I think that we are unraveling all that. We are undoing that because we're dividing people. We aren't bringing them together. Mm. Uh, we, the, the, the bending of the knee, which has nothing whatsoever to do with Britain or British racism or uh, racial relationships at all, is now being used by people with the best of intentions, maybe, to bring about a situation where the crowds are actually booing their action. I mean, mm. how obvious does that have to be? And how long will it take before the FA or the footballers themselves realise they're going to have to stop? And also, how arrogant of Gareth Southgate to basically think that he can just preach to those people, more or less accusing them of being racist themselves, the people who support his own team and who support their own country playing football, um, and just sort of act as if they're idiots and that you know their opinions don't matter. I agree, and I think that one of the problems is that to a very large extent, racism as it would have been uh, interpreted, say, as little as 5 or 10 or 15 years ago, has, I think, become almost passe in this mm. country. We are much more tolerant. We live cheek by jowl with each other. We don't feel resentful in the way that uh, we might have done a few years ago, and nor should we. But this is making people take sides. And that is exactly the opposite of harmonious race relations. Mm. It is absolutely right. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're talking to Trevor Kavanagh, political columnist at The Sun. Trevor, uh, you wrote this week um, something similar to what I've been saying, that the hokey-cokey policy, uh, where you're sort of in halfway and out halfway uh, in terms of lockdown, in terms of what happens on June 21st. I mean, what do you make, for example, this morning of Andrew Lloyd Webber saying that he's going to open his theatres come hell or high water on the 21st, uh, and they'll have to come and arrest him if they want him not to. Well, bravo to Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> I think I'd like to see many more people following this example because um, somewhere along the line, we're going to have to make a stand as a country mm. against a government and a committee of um, uh, hybrid committee of uh, various um, experts, uh, modelers, and uh, epidemiologists who seem to be completely at odds with the facts as we know them from the Office of National Statistics yeah. about the spread of this disease. And, you know, I've been saying for some time that we're going to pay a heavy price for this uh, lockdown, the two lockdowns, not just now, but in the long term. There's sort of cracks and fissures in our social and economic mm. uh, infrastructure are going to take a long time to heal. Absolutely. I mean, we spoke to somebody yesterday uh, on the show who has a wedding uh, planned for, I think, June the 26th or the 28th. And if they put it back by two weeks, he'll have to cancel a wedding which has already been booked in a town hall uh, for which he's already ordered um, all sorts of uh, food and drink, catering, um, a marquee in the back garden uh, of his of his wife-to-be's uh, parents' house. You know, people coming from all over to, to stay in hotels in the area. I mean, it'd be absolute chaos if they don't do it. I agree. And that the story is echoed and um, uh, reinforced across the country probably a million times. Um, there, are, there are real casualties from lockdown, which aren't COVID. And they are big ones and there are small ones. So the small ones like weddings, which is, of course, big for the people involved, but also huge ones for people with really serious life-threatening illnesses, which mm. are going either undiagnosed or untreated. And the mental health of the country, all for what? For a variant which is going to be replaced by another variant mm. and then another variant afterwards, against which, as far as we know, all of our miraculous vaccines are proof. Well, exactly right. And uh, yesterday we looked at the... Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that the Telegraph now publishes the average daily death figure for all causes, because yesterday I think it was 1,408, of which one death was from COVID. And you just think, well, there's something very wrong with this picture. Today's figures, average daily deaths, all causes, England and Wales, week 21, 1,375, of which 13 were from COVID. I mean, it's completely out of kilter, isn't it, with reality? Yes, and uh, as you will know, uh, we have something like 600,000 deaths every year for various yeah. causes, no matter what. And um, anything more than that is regarded as excess deaths. We are now below the average, in fact, for the period we're in at the moment. Mm. And as we go through it, we're likely to end up in 10 years' time looking back and seeing virtually no peaks during this period because what we're unfortunately seeing is a lot of people who would have died anyway during this last 18 months because of the comorbidities 
they were suffering from. It's a very sad story for those. It was inevitable, as it's inevitable to all of us, that we can't live forever. But that's the point. And, and, you know, the way the NHS is operating now is a kind of COVID-only service. They're now complaining that they're having to catch up with all the stuff they didn't do for a year. Uh, and that might overwhelm them as well. And I keep saying to them, well, surely you've now had a year to look at what's wrong with the NHS and why every single winter it falls into some kind of crisis. Why are they not fixing it? Why are they not doing anything to change the way it operates? Absolutely true. And one of the other points that is not very well known is the fact that during the COVID pandemic, the government commandeered all the private hospital facilities mm. in case they needed overspill uh, capacity for um, COVID patients. So effectively, those uh, private hospitals have not been keeping up with the sort of um, uh, treatments and diagnoses that they would have done normally of the people now filling the hospitals and making life difficult for the NHS. Yes. And I mean, I've just seen a, a, a picture which has been posted today uh, of the of the outside of a, of a doctor's surgery in which it says uh, the doors of this surgery are now locked. You may only visit to pick up a prescription between the hours of 10 and 11 o'clock on Thursday uh, at all other times. Do not enter this building. And I'm going, sorry, this is a doctor's surgery we're talking about. Uh, they're basically telling people not to go in there because it's not open. And every time you speak to anybody from the BMA, they complain that it's, a wrong, it's the wrong narrative. Doctors are working as hard as ever. Uh, it's not true, is it? Uh, I suspect it's not. And an awful lot of doctors are taking advantage of this. And not just doctors. I think people on furlough, I think all sorts of people have adapted to a different way of life in which basically they are subsidised and feather-bedded, and uh, there are jobs out there by the million because of uh, a shortage of labour, because people have gone back to the European Union, and yet we are still paying people on furlough until September. I think that the NHS takes advantage of the fact, and some of the GPs too, that we pay so, we have so much respect for the medical profession that they can do pretty much as they mm. please. And while I'm absolutely certain that a probably the majority of GPs are doing a, a very, very good job. There are people, as in every profession, who are malingerers mm. and they're shutting their doors to patients who I think are entitled to be able to go and see their local general practitioners. Well, exactly right. Prime Minister's question's coming up finally, Trevor, today. Um, poor old Keir Starmer can't seem to win for losing, can he? I mean, he goes on Piers Morgan's life stories uh, and becomes even less popular uh, than when he was before he went on there. Well, you'd almost, it's almost possible to imagine feeling sorry for the man. But, uh, almost. I'm resisting that. He's now, he's now as, as, he's apparently as unpopular as Jeremy Corbyn was. Yes, it's, it's almost astonishing that he can drop so low. But um, frankly, he's not making any impact anywhere on the political uh, landscape. And this is actually not entirely his fault, believe it or not. He is trying to straddle a party which cannot be brought together. The two wings of the party mm. are irreconcilable. You've got the far left, which is now dominant in the national executive, which is the power hub. And you have the moderate ex-Blairites or still Blairites who want to go back to the centre. There is no way that any leader, Andy Burnham, Yvette Cooper, whoever you want to put in the place, is going to reconcile that. No. I mean, it's a shame for the population of the country, though, isn't it, in a way? Because we would quite like a decent opposition. I mean, it's not as if this government uh, shouldn't be asked a lot of tough questions on a day like today. But as ever, it won't happen. No, and I think you're absolutely right that uh, a government, especially one like Boris, who enjoys untrammeled sort of power and popularity, mm. is amazing at getting both in this particular situation, um, needs to be brought to book on certain important things, not least of which, for instance, is immigration. Yeah. What the hell is happening on immigration? No, no policy whatsoever for stopping the boats coming across, not effectively, and no policy whatsoever for repatriating the people who make it here. And I think that, you know, the, the issues that uh, come up end up being uh, the only opposition to the government is its own party, the mem members of parliament, yeah. Tory MPs who are fighting tooth and nail to stop us uh, reducing the uh, multi-billion pound payout that we make in uh, overseas aid. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, that was another ridiculous thing, but we'll talk about that the next time. Trevor, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Trevor Kavanagh there, a political columnist at The Sun, uh, making uh, the statement that I think we all know uh, is the case, that Keir Starmer literally is about as useless as a chocolate teapot. 
I'm afraid. He can't do anything. He can't make any marks on the Prime Minister. He can't criticise the Prime Minister with any great deal of alacrity. He is literally losing every single round. If it was a boxing match, it would have been stopped by now. And even the Labour Party know that he's not the answer. So, however, they don't have an answer, and that is the problem. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, we've been talking an awful lot about GPs in particular on this show. We've been hearing from many people out there uh, who say that they've had great service from their GPs, other people who say they haven't had great service from their GPs. There certainly seems to be a problem in certain pockets of the country uh, where GP surgeries are quite hard to get into. Uh, as I say, I've seen a picture this morning of a, of a sign outside one particular GP surgery saying, you know, basically, it's not open. The doors are locked you can only come and get a prescription don't enter the building for any other reason let's talk to uh, dr martin godfrey to find out what's going on martin a very good morning to you welcome morning thank you for having me on the show not at all i mean obviously it's ridiculous to try and make out that any one thing is ever happening in the nhs because it's such a huge organization but i mean some gp surgeries are operating normally very well people are happy with them but there are others that don't seem to be quite delivering the service that they that they were delivering before um, the, the the COVID pandemic. And of course, now we're starting to hear stories, um, which I think you're going to tell us as well, about burnout and, and, and people in the NHS working terribly hard. What What is the picture and, and why is it so mixed? I think that the general practice has, uh, has changed uh, beyond uh, all, all, uh, all proportion over the last uh, 18 months. Um, I mean, I'm sure that when you went to the practice uh, before lockdown, you can remember <clears throat> sitting in a waiting room full of ill patients, often perhaps waiting for a doctor up to an hour, sometimes longer. Uh, and, uh, and it wasn't necessarily a very pleasant experience. It wasn't. No, if uh, I try and avoid we, it as much as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I then, then what happened was uh, we went into lockdown and nobody could see the doctor for a while. And suddenly we all had to change to start uh, having telephone conference mm. consultations uh, and going online, which was uh, always something I think that we'd been... Uh, uh, moving towards, but it suddenly uh, accelerated uh, uh, the the change, um, and and that's meant that uh, uh, interestingly, as lockdown began to to work its way through, and patients, more and more patients, found themselves uh, hitting two, I think, major uh, issues. One was that uh, their mental health for many many patients was, was uh, becoming. Uh, almost uh, uh, impossible to bear. Mm. I, I can remember before lockdown in the average surgery, I might say two, three, four, perhaps plenty of patients with anxiety and depression. But uh, but now I'm I'm speaking to I'd say between a half and two thirds of patients who've right. quite got quite serious problems. Yeah. And obviously it's not it's, it's not just sort of a couple of minutes have some antibiotics. It's you know somebody saying I I think I want I'm going to commit suicide. Then you need to perhaps spend half an hour or longer yeah. talking to them and helping them so that you you can be satisfied that when you put the phone down that uh, that they are, are are dealt with and happy and uh, and we can move on. And are those people coming from all walks of life and all kind of age groups as well? Yeah, it's it's just uh, an incredible um, change. I think for for many people, um, they, you know, there's a variety of different reasons for it. But but uh, uh, I think if you have a, had a disposition, for instance, to sometimes have low moods or be anxious, it's just exacerbated it incredibly to the point where um, uh, people are just feeling they 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 can't cope with uh, uh with their job with going back to work with problems with family members and and then they'd also then then uh, there's uh, a fallout to then the other services that are supporting these patients talking therapies for instance uh it should be the first line of uh, of, of management for somebody who has a mental health problem mm. And yet the talking therapies are, are completely underwater. They just can't cope with the numbers of people who are trying to, 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 make, uh, to make contact. Yes. So, I mean, I was saying earlier, Martin, to um, uh, Trevor Kavanagh that, you know, we hear constantly that the NHS is, is, is overwhelmed in one area or another. Is it not for somebody to now look at what the NHS does, where it does uh, best, where it doesn't do so well, where it needs improvement, where it needs more people, where it needs more money? It seems to me that, you know, every single year we have a crisis of some kind or another, um, but it doesn't ever seem to change. 
No, I mean, I think it's interesting. You look back when the NHS was started, you know, there was the belief that once it got going, that, that uh, most of the uh, uh, chronic disease would be sorted out and mm. you'd just see the, the odd sore throat. And, and it's really so from the outset, I think there was a miscalculation or a misunderstanding of what, uh, what level of, of, uh, of disease and uh, infirmity exists out there. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think, though, that we're moving into an exciting new world, which potentially we have uh, um, the tools now to, to change the way that doctors and their patients and, and, and other healthcare professionals interact. You know, I think using the internet, <clears throat> particularly to be, I think, smarter about uh, uh, how we, we talk to each other. I mean, we now have the opportunity to, to offer um, more of a sort of smorgasbord of, uh, of, uh, uh, of interactions with our patients. You know, certainly I think we need to move back to seeing more face-to-face -face patients, and that's certainly going to happen. But we're never going to go back to those those packed waiting rooms. Yeah, although uh, apparently at the moment there's a lot of packed A&E uh, departments because I was talking yeah. to a friend of mine this morning whose uh, whose partner had to go to uh, the doctor for something, but they was ba she was basically rerouted to the A&E department at uh, Barnet Hospital, uh, at which point they, they were so busy that they were rerouting people to the Royal Free and to UCL uh, in the centre of London. So I think there's a bit of acrimony between A&E departments and, and doctor's surgeries because so many people are being referred to the A&E where they would normally have just gone to the doctor's surgery. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that uh, there's just this spillover of, um, uh, of, of cases where we are all trying to do our bit in primary care not to send patients up into, into uh, air tax and emergency uh, and to take the weight off for the acute sector. Um, but, uh, but, but often, uh, you know, we have we are just so overloaded with uh, this, these extra burdens of mental health problems, mm. and also many many patients who basically haven't been able to have their um, uh, their hip replacements or their you know even serious uh, problems like cancer care. Mm. We then have to deal with that uh, much more complicated cases in, in general practice, yes. and it, it just fills all the slots up. And, and then that then, then comes back to the issue with, with doctors leaving. I yeah. mean, as, uh, as we were, uh, you mentioned earlier, the, you know, there's, you know, there's a recent poll I saw uh, through a company called Vesipa Care that there's something like 45% of staff uh, considering leaving the NHS and 52% of those who experience anxiety and worry about the future. And where and, would they be going? Would they be going to private medicine or would they be leaving altogether the med a, medicine a lot business? Of them are, a lot of them are leaving altogether, and right. uh, and I think that you know there is an opportunity now, particularly uh, to use things like the internet to do things like remote consulting. Um, many patients want to see the doctor, but they don't necessarily want to go into that packed waiting room. Mm. Uh, and so the opportunity to to have a video call with your doctor uh, and be able to have sort of face to face, you can, we can see some nonverbal communications, etc. Uh, and I think that there, there's a, I think a, I think to some extent the, the, the worry is that uh, that the, there is the opportunity to use the internet more intelligently, but but to some extent we've sort of covered ground to a halt on that. Yeah. I think I think we need to grasp the opportunity to have uh, both in hospital and uh, in general practice uh, more video consultations, more use of the internet. Uh, and then let us see the people who really, really need to be seen mm. and, and let us see them more effectively. So who's going to make that decision and who's going to be in charge of sort of reorganising everything? Because it seems to me that's what's needed. But, but again, nobody's really doing it. Mm. I mean, there is, you know, a, a, a fairly fundamental reorganisation uh, taking place within, within the NHS. Uh, um, uh, and it's a sort of a, something, something of a quiet re revolution, not... All uh, doctors, I think, are are um, supporting it, but but uh, but there there is a move, for instance, and I think this is this is all absolutely a good thing, uh, is an integration between uh, between health and social care, uh, and I think that if we can get those two things working together more effectively, then uh, I you know many of the problems we see in practice aren't health problems they're social problems and uh, and if we can help an individual with with their housing with their uh with some of their uh um just general um exercise diet some of the fundamentals that are affecting their physical health then uh you know hopefully 
um, we can uh, we can get to a situation where uh, again we're focusing on the people who really need to be seen. Yeah, I mean, on a slightly more philosophical note, and you may completely disagree with me. Do you think that we have become a nation of people who are so reliant on services that? people are less likely to take responsibility for their own health in a way that they're kind of waiting to be told what to do they're waiting to be told what to eat how mm. far to walk you know when to uh, to get on a bike you know what i mean it's almost as though they've been kind of overeducated into not making their own decisions for themselves uh, that's a very good point i think that that you know there is a societal issue uh, in britain particularly has a very paternalistic relationship with its uh, with its healthcare system and you compare the states where, for instance, an individual sees that they have to take their own responsibility for their own care. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and whereas we um, see the doctor as being the person who needs to look after us. And I think that it, that it just isn't possible, to be honest, yes. for the, the health care system to deal with everything. So maybe that needs to pivot slightly, because I, I lived in the States for about 10 years, and, and they have a much more kind of proactive approach, if you like, yeah. to preventative medicine, and people yeah. then take responsibility to keep themselves well, whereas in, in this country, it seems to me, you go to the doctor when you're, when you're not well, whereas in America, you sort of go when you're okay to check yourself out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the other interesting thing is, you know, you look at things like, Fitbits. I mean, uh, there, there seems to be a complete dichotomy. People, more and more people are now looking to, to buy a Fitbit, for mm. instance. Uh, and yet, you know, the healthcare professionals, you know, why couldn't we prescribe a Fitbit, for instance? You know, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of commercial companies out there uh, that, that are offering useful um, tools that, that that can help with people's to keep people well. And mm. uh, and I think that that's imp- important that we. Uh, that we within the healthcare prof- profession don't sit down their noses at that and uh, and help people to look after themselves. Mm. Good stuff. Dr. Martin uh, Godfrey, thank you very much indeed. 03444991000 is the number. He's a South London GP. Um, making some reasonable points. I think we all know that there's something wrong with the NHS. You know, this idea that there's nothing wrong with the NHS. It's brilliant. You know, it's the envy of the world. Well, no, it's not actually the envy of the world. Uh, when it was looked at uh, in comparison to lots of other uh, envies of the world, other healthcare systems in the world, it came in at number 26. Uh, and nobody's copying it. Nobody does it the way we do it. And it just doesn't work very well. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, it's the home of common sense. Why wouldn't it be? Uh, because there's not very much of it around anywhere else. I mean, some people are looking forward to PMQs today. Uh, I'll tell you who isn't looking forward to PMQs today. That'll be old uh, Rodders, Sir Keir Starmer. Rodney, as he's now known, because uh, he hates that name so much, I'm just going to keep calling him it. Um, he's managed to make himself just as unpopular as Jeremy Corbyn. Despite being interviewed by Piers Morgan, his popularity has actually gone down. Extraordinary. 
So, uh, we thought, what could we do about that? What we should do is get Deanna Davidson in here, Conservative MP from Bishop Auckland, of course. Uh, she's been on the show many times. We finally got her into the studio. Deanna, very, very good morning to you. Well, Welcome. Good to see you, and thanks for having me in. It's not at all. like a long time coming. Isn't it a spectacular view? Have you seen out, out the window? It's not bad, is it? Yeah, I've, I've seen, yeah. I, I can go with it. It's not a bad not I mean, bad the Tower of London over there, Tower Bridge over there. You can see the Shard if you look the other way out that way. I mean, it's, it's absolutely lovely. fantastic. Whereas today, all I've got from my office is Steve Bray shouting about how corrupt the government oh. is. When so is he going to give up that guy? When's he going to get a job? I mean, who's funding him? I would Does love to know. know. I'd love to know. He really is a ridiculous guy, isn't he? I mean, and he's actually quite objectionable. He's mm. not. I mean, I don't mind the odd protester. You know, we sure. all have to put up with people that don't like what we say and somehow don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. But he's quite an objectionable character, isn't he? It's persistent. And, you know, I think part of the reason that I've come into the studio today is because from my office, the noise was so great that I think it would have disrupted any sort of interview from yeah. the office. So well, yeah, that's a First world problems, obviously. But. Yeah, well, no, but actually, you know, because actually it's, it's a bit of an imposition on free speech in the end of the day, because, you know, if he's trying to stop you from speaking, knowing that you might be wanting to speak to somebody, then that, I, I think that's an arrestable mm. offence. I think it gets very nasty as well. I know when, yeah. um, when Jill Mortimer was elected and came into Parliament for the first time, yeah. we kind of gathered on the, the kind of green in, in the middle of Parliament and um, they were all there at the gate shouting, yelling, being really yeah. abusive, really nasty. And you think, it's the poor girl's first day in Parliament. Yeah, really. Come on, let's let's give her a chance. Yeah, and and also, why are they not so that Jill cared. No, but, but also, why are they so vitriolic anyway? What, yes. You know, what's, what's the problem? No, I completely agree with you. you I know, mean, aside it's... from most sort of... Um, I mean, most people now have moved on. I mean, aside from the kind of the crazies, as I call them, like, you know, Lord Adonis and A.C. Grayling and Jolien Maugham and all, and all that lot, most people who voted to remain have just gone, OK, all right, it's yeah. done now. Let's just move on and get on with it. I, I think what it seems to be is the, the, the kind of real staunch, crazy Remainers, as you just, yeah. just sort of named them, they've just moved on to the next thing to protest about, it yeah. feels like. So now I think Steve Bray was out there talking about corruption, which he's been talking about for ages anyway. I mean, the whole, I think the whole Brexit regime was corruption in his yes. eyes anyway. Um, they just but, hate but the Tories, just, don't they? They do. They, they do hate the Tories. But part of me thinks they need to get out there into the real world and talk to a regular working mm. bloke up in the North East yes. and, and ask him what his views are. Well, this is how they got it all London. wrong and this is how Starmer's got it all wrong because he wakes up every morning thinking, who can I uh, not disagree with this morning? I mean, there was a Labour MP on with Julia this morning and she was asking her about the Oxford students. And while she was defensive of the Queen, she couldn't quite bring herself to actually denounce what the students had done, mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously to have this picture of the Queen removed. And it's almost like a kind of cult. They can't bring themselves to be critical of anyone uh, who might be either you know on the on the black lives matter spectrum mm -hmm. or who might decide that they hate you know anybody who's uh, anti-trans or you know they just can't bring themselves to have a sort of commonsensical position mm -hmm. on anything unless you're a tory in which case they will definitely disagree with you then they hate you, you. yeah that's fine i mean what about these oxford students i mean it's Magdalen oh. college um i don't know whether you went to oxford or cambridge i, I didn't. didn't i was a reject so clearly i'm gonna have a very strong stance <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, I mean, you know, free speech, all of that. I guess they can decide what pictures they want, up, blah, 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 blah. But, I mean, to get triggered mm. by a very well-known portrait of the Queen, do they get triggered every time they receive a letter with a stamp on yes. or spend a £20 note in a shop? I know. It's absolutely outrageous. It really is. Well, these are the same people that will probably campaign to get her removed from the from the money mm -hmm. uh, and put somebody else on the, on the thing. But, they, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what they get next because they've said, basically, they want the room to be welcoming to people, mm. i.e., if the Queen's there, it's not welcoming somehow. Um, <laughs> So now they're going to uh, find some piece of art which is from somebody inspirational. You can imagine what that's going to be. So, so the Queen is not an inspirational figure. Apparently you know, not. The, the longest serving monarch. Yeah. The, basically, the, 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 the shining light of freedom, democracy and, and British values. I mean, yeah. it's laughable. And, like. and one of the most admired and revered women probably in the history of the world. Yes. Right? Because she's been a magnificent monarch. She's mm -hmm. been a tremendous head of state. She's met, I think she's meeting Joe Biden this weekend. He'll be the 13th president, I mm -hmm. think, that she's met. Which we think is more than any other, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Well, she's reigned for more than, longer than Queen Victoria yes. now. I mean, how can you not have anything but admiration for her? Even if you don't e believe even if in you're the monarchy. A Republican. Precisely. Even if you don't believe in that, you cannot deny that the Queen has been an inspirational figure. Her sense of public duty, the, the decades of dedication yeah. she's put into the job. I'm... You know, I think, if anything, I'm offended by the actions of the Oxford yeah, students. exactly. I mean, of course they can do it, but they're idiots. I'm sorry. I mean, there's no <laughs> other word disagree. for it. Um, let's talk a bit about June the 21st, because obviously that's the hot topic of conversation. Um, the Cabinet doesn't seem to be entirely sure what's going on. Uh, we keep getting mixed messages. One minute Matt Hancock says, you know, uh, admissions to intensive care have gone down to practically nothing. But he then says we might consider actually lengthening the, the, the lockdown. Mm -hmm. We're not sure if we're going to keep it open on the 21st. What, what do you think's happening? 
So I think all along we've said it's going to be led by the data yeah. and, and that'll be assessed in sort of the week leading up to um, yeah, the, the Monday, next stage they? of the unlock. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, there is consistency there, but I think the problem is people ask all these many, many questions mm. about what might happen, hypotheticals and all of this. Mm. But we've always said we're going to wait and assess the data. Now, we can see from the figures that case rates are rising, but what we need to see is if that's translating into hospitalisation rates, right. the death rate. Which it doesn't and seem to be. Because at that's the moment, what, I mean, no. what Matt Hancock's also saying is that most of the people being admitted to hospital have not had the vaccine. Precisely, yeah. which, which is very encouraging for you know the rapid pace of the vaccination mm. programme. It shows we're, we're certainly doing something right. That vaccine is working. Yeah. So I think we just need to wait, see what the kind of advice is. We always said the tw- it'd be no earlier than June the 21st, mm. so it could be there's a short delay. I wouldn't love it if there was, no. but I think we do have to be led by the data on this. Then we do, but I think also they have to make sure that they're interpreting it right, because I, I think the trouble agree. is, I mean, we've spoken to a lot of people this week, Tony Buxley was just in saying, you know, people have got things that they've planned to do now since mm-hmm. the 21st was mentioned, yes. like a guy who rang me yesterday to say he was getting married on oh, something wow. like the 28th, right? And he's going to have 80 people, mm-hmm. but if they don't open... He can't do it. And yes. he's already booked the, uh, the the town hall. He's already booked the marquee. He's already booked the caterers. Mm-hmm. He's got all the booze bought. People are travelling from all over the country to come and stay in the area somewhere in Suffolk. Mm-hmm. You know, that'll just wreak havoc with people. Well, th- there are so many industries that have been so heavily affected mm. by COVID. And even now, the hospitality industry still is struggling. There's still a lot of clubs that haven't been able to open because of the, the kind of social distancing restrictions. Yeah. We've got Andrew Lloyd Webber talking about theatres and how he's going to go ahead regardless. You know, I think we all Surely want... Surely they wouldn't arrest him if he opens theatres. I would hope not. No. Um, I, I mean, think that's, he's, that's he's a legend in his own time, right. isn't it? Yeah. Imagine, um, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, Tony Awards all over the place. You know, he's probably got a few Oscars up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. He's probably BAFTAs everywhere. Uh, and then he gets arrested for opening up a theatre. I know it would I be. I mean, that's just not even on. It would be quite something to behold, wouldn't uh, it? But I, I think we need we need to wait and see. Um, but obviously, I, I'm very much hoping we do completely reopen on the 21st. I think we need it for our yes. mentality as a nation. We need it. Well, I think we do, and also people need to go somewhere. I mean, the whole Portuguese business was a real blow, I think, to the travel mm. industry. An awful lot of people who thought they might be able to book a holiday at some point towards the end of this month are now thinking maybe we're just not going to bother. And mm. people do need a break. I think I certainly do. <laughs> I feel you know. the same. I'm I'm sort of banking on potentially more of a staycation this year. I mean, if I can get away, I I may do. But I think the advice all along has been, you know, tra- travel at your peril. We're, yes. we're not quite sure how it's going to work. Make sure you get those cancelable flexible flights if you're. Yeah, but you're when you see them. Spain is offering uh, you to to come there without even having to have had mm-hmm. a, a vaccination or to prove that you're a, a negative test, you can just go. The problem is coming back. Well, that is the problem. And that's where people need to take a little bit of personal responsibility, look at the guidance, follow it as closely as you can. But the problem is this blooming virus changes things so quickly. If if cases and hospitalizations are rising in a country that's on the green list, then, you know, as a nation, it's absolutely right. Surely if we've been vaccinated, what's the problem? It's it's new variants, Mike, isn't it? I think that's the problem. Not one of these variants yet has shown there to be any problem with the vaccines. And and most people Mm -hmm. who know about vaccines, and I'm not one of them, say (laughs) it's easy to, 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 to... to doctor it and mm-hmm. to tweak it if necessary. But I think it's the uncertainty, isn't it? It's it's not being certain if there is a new variant. It could be could transmit yeah, but more quickly. That these could be sage more deadly. People don't want any uncertainty. They want everything <laughs> to be provable and everything's going to be great. And when you wake up in the morning, you're not going to hit your head on the door as you walk out. You're mm-hmm. not going to drop your keys down a drain. You know, you're not going to slip on a banana skin and end up in hospital. You know, unfortunately, there are risks in life. Of course, some of are. us have to accept that and mm-hmm. go. All right, we'll take the risk. And, and, and that's exactly the same when you're booking your holiday. You take the risk of potentially losing the money if it does go on to the ambulance uh-huh. or, or whatnot. Mm. OK, but, let's talk a bit about your uh, £33 million boost for Bishop Auckland. Absolutely. Because I noticed on your Twitter page that you've got a Towns Fund bid that you made. Mm-hmm. Now, this is all part of the Build Back build back better or levelling up which which of those two things uh, it's, it? it's both frankly yeah. I mean it's, it's more to, towards the government sort of levelling up agenda um, it's the second similar fund that's been available there was a future high streets fund where Bishop got I think 18 million through that one right. specifically for high street rejuvenation then the town's fund was for sort of wider works to try and improve the town um, it can be used for transport infrastructure heritage digital infrastructure all kinds of projects. Um, we've submitted 10 projects in Bishop. We've been given funding for all 10. Mm. Um, there's going to be some big changes on the high streets. Uh, we're doing a lot more work around our heritage zone. We've got a great company um, that run a thing called Kinren, which is a big kind of celebration of County Durham's history. Uh, and it's a big outdoor show that happens over the summer. So we're doing some work to try and kind of improve traffic flows around there and really improve Bishop Auckland as a visitor destination. Um, so County Durham's a cracking part of the yeah, country. Well, so back on to the, to the topic of holidays, yeah. if anyone does want a staycation, you know, some cracking places around County Durham that I could definitely recommend. Head to Bishop Auckland. There you go. Well, Deanna, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got a bit of a surprise for you coming up at one o'clock. Ian Collins not here, uh, but he's being substituted by Rob Rinder, uh, a very, very big substitution here at Talk Radio. So uh, we will look forward to seeing Rob uh, coming up a little bit later on in the show. You're listening to me. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is the home of common sense. Don't go anywhere. The Drop Zone on Talk Radio with bonus drop from William Hill Vegas. Play for free. Your chance to win instant free spins, bonuses and up to £1,000 a day in cash. Visit williamhill.com, 18plusbgamblerware.org. And now it's time for the Drop Zone with William Hill. I'm going to spin the dial and see where the penny drops on one of the three topics for today that will make up our discussions. First of all, how going to the pub while you're off sick from work isn't a sackable offence. And I will argue, well, we should all give it a go. Hmm, I don't know about that. Rochelle Humes has banned her eight-year-old from having a TikTok account. I will argue that mothers know best. And finally, Glastonbury Festival will be replaced by individual performances live at Worthy Farm. And I will argue that it will be a great watch and that we should all tune in. Now, let us spin the penny to see which one of those I get. Well, luckily for me, it's fallen on Mother's Know Best because Rochelle Humes has apparently told her husband uh, that her eight-year-old cannot have a TikTok account. She's basically overruled him. Uh, his name's Marvin. She says, I have to play bad cop in our marriage. We were just talking about marriage because obviously Boris Johnson uh, is on fine form in fine fettle. And you might say that that is down to his uh, latest marriage with uh, Carrie Johnson, as she's now known. Carrie Simons, if you wish, which she was known as. But he certainly was firing all cylinders. He certainly looked like a man uh, who was very happy. And I would certainly be more than happy uh, to attest to the fact that mothers do know best. My own mother uh, raised me very well. She was very much uh, an influence in my life. My father was as well. Uh, but she was the one um, who, generally speaking, was the more sensible, shall we say, of the two. And with my own children, you know, mothers do have an overall control of them. And that's probably the way it should be. I mean, the fathers are out there. They influence their children, their sons, their daughters. They make sure that they love them. They make sure they raise them properly. But really, all of the kind of sensible decisions, generally speaking, are made by the mother. And I think that's entirely correct. I think that's entirely as it should be. Um, and if it's not happening in your house, there must be something going wrong. Because most women I know uh, would rather be making those kind of decisions. And when it comes to something like TikTok, I don't think you want an eight-year-old having a social media account. I mean, it's bad enough when they want one when they're about 10 or 12, but certainly eight years of age. I think Rochelle Humes has got it absolutely spot on. That was today's The Drop Zone with William Hill Vegas. Play for your free daily chance to win instant free spins, bonuses, and up to £1,000 a day in cash. Visit williamhill.com, 18plusbgambleaware.org. The Drop Zone on Talk Radio with bonus drop from William Hill Vegas. Get all the excitement at Vegas. Visit williamhill.com, 18plusbgambleaware.org. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Now, there's a story that's been doing the rounds for a while. We haven't touched upon it yet. Other people have um, in other pieces of, uh, of the media. But we're going to talk now to Nathan Wint, who's from an organisation called Stop the Stink. This is because there's a quarry uh, in Newcastle under Lyme, a place called Silverdale, which apparently stinks to high heaven. And nobody's really doing anything about it. Let's talk to Nathan now and find out what it's all about. Nathan, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mark. Thank you for having us on the show. No, not at all. You uh, you are feeling very, very sort of fired up about all of this. Tell us, first of all, what it is that the problem is with this quarry, because it sounds horrendous. Uh, it definitely is horrendous. And so the problem is um, there's, there's a landfill that's in a residential area. It, it's absolutely, it doesn't just smell. It fills your home with, with gas, with hydrogen sulfide. Right. It makes you choke. It makes your eyes burn. We've had it constantly. Um, it's got worse over the last year. Mm. It's, it's affecting people's mental health, people's physical health. And there's, there's a young a young child that's had letters saying that it's making his, his health worse. It's making his health deteriorate. It's just awful. It's every day. Like today, it's a really hot day and mm. we can't go outside because it absolutely stinks. That's horrendous, isn't it? And what do the owners of the quarry say about it? Do they engage with the local community at all? Not, not at all. Uh, just recently, they've they've seen that they'd like to engage with with people more. They're saying that they don't really know how to, and they've never really known how to. Um, they they basically denying that the problems coming coming from there. They're trying to blame everyone other than themselves. Right. And what is it that it is causing the actual stink? Do you think? I mean, is it a combination of things that are in the quarry? Is it the is it some kind of chemical? What's what, what exactly do you think it is? 
Uh, personally, I think without evidence, it's things that shouldn't be in there. It's a lot of things that shouldn't be in there. It's been dumped in there over a number of times. It's been poorly managed. It's been poorly regulated. And uh, residents are suffering because of it. Yeah. And what about the local council? Have they been involved at all? Because you'd think that they would have some kind of environmental health officer or somebody who would be concerned. Yeah, so so we've got um, we've got air monitoring air monitoring equipment around the area, which is um, proved to prove to be over a nuisance over a number of occasions. Mm. Uh, the council are doing quite a lot actually. They're in the process of um, taking them to court, and they've issued them a notice of an abandonment. So so they are helping, but it's just a very slow very slow process. Things have been done. Many years ago, we wouldn't be in this situation we're in now. No, of course. And how far does this the smell kind of spread? I mean, what sort of how many people would you say are affected by it? Oh, it's it's spread way way over any about I'd say about ten miles, right. ten miles away. It's been reported probably further afield. Right. It's it all depends on wind direction, which area gets it. It sounds awful. And you yourself, uh, Nathan, took a stand and, and made a one-man protest for which you actually got arrested, right? I did, yeah. So um, I woke up one one morning and it was in the children's bedroom. It was absolutely filled with landfill gas. Um, I actually walked in the bedroom and it made me choke. Mm. And I just decided I'd had enough and I chained myself to the gates right. um, of the landfill. I stayed there for about eight hours. Um and then got arrested, but then the charges got dropped because it wasn't in the public interest to carry on mm. with the with the charge. And is the company that owns the quarry are they local or are they somewhere else? Are they an international company? What sort of company are they? Uh, yes, they're a local company. The 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 they've been around for quite a while, but um, they took over the landfill site about five years ago, right. I think it was, um, and they've just not really really had any help with it. And is it since then that it started to get bad? Since then, it's got it's got a lot worse. They increased the the wastage that they were allowed. They changed what kind of waste they were allowed to have. Right. And then since then, it's got worse. Yeah. Sounds incredible, doesn't it? I mean, you must be amazed that it's taking you this long to get it sorted. Well, without without they've been issued. Um, penalties from the environment agency to sort things out so they had to cap certain cells off and and sort lots of things out but it, it hasn't changed anything the smell is still very much present yeah it's awful sounds absolutely horrendous well listen nathan i appreciate you coming on um do keep in touch with us and, we'll, and if there's anything we can do uh, we can maybe try and get hold of the owners or something and get them on and give them a grilling uh, and see what the hell they think they're doing but uh, thank you very much for talking to us nathan went there from stop the stink campaign absolutely extraordinary story this because imagine living in those kind of conditions where you can't go outside you can't open your windows in the summer uh, your kids are getting you know watery eyes and feeling terrible because there's this ghastly sort of chemical smell hanging around in the air it's just not right i mean this is the kind of thing that used to happen you know in the days of chernobyl and this is the kind of thing that used to happen in the days where there were no regulations on environmental uh, wastage and what you could th- put into the ground and what you could put into a landfill. Surely somebody can sort this out. Surely, for heaven's sake. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 